0: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Buzzard Roost Saddles. Buzzard Roost Saddles was born in the swamps of Santa Ma, South Louisiana, and their purpose is to get you standing over your next carcass so you can pick them clean. Proudly made in the USA, every Buzzard Roost Saddle is handcrafted with a patent pending system that brings you independent angle adjustments on your top and bottom panels to provide ultimate comfort. Standing by their motto, We Ain't Fancy, Buzzard Roost helps you get the job done without making things overcomplicated. If you're looking for the next tool in your hunting arsenal, you can connect with Buzzard Roost Saddles on Facebook and Instagram, or you can visit their website at buzzardroostsaddles.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Hunt the Wild podcast. I'm your host Adam Bolds, and today I'm joined with Kyle Swan of Arizona. How you doing Kyle?
1: I'm doing well. How you doing?
0: I'm good man. Good running around like a chicken with my head cut off like most days but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm good. I made it. Um, so I'm gonna have you do it a little do a little introduction and uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and um, how you got started in hunting in the outdoors and then we'll kind of roll into some uh, elk hunting stuff. Perfect yeah so
1: um you know, like I said, I'm Swan, I'm 23 years old. Um, the way I got started hunting, it's, I kind of remember it very, very special. Like my dad is always, you have to wait till you're six year old to go on the deer hunts with us. You know, as soon as I turned six years old in August, I was like, all right, this fall it's going to be big. So then I finally got to go with them, and I got, you know, got to see how how the deer hunting went down on that aspect. And you know, being six years old and seeing that and seeing, oh, at that time. Just being that little, seeing that like big of an animal down, you know, showing, then seeing the work that went into it, and having that kind of perspective of it, and like after that is just an addiction, honestly. So then, you know, I just wanted to be doing it, and year in year out, you know, um, you know, then my uncle he did a lot of horseback hunting, so when I was like not ten to twelve range, would go back in back country doing horses with with a lot of elk hunting and stuff like that. And that's where my elk hunting kind of really got started was that it was being able to go on those, you know, those big elk hunts on horseback and, able you to know, really understand like <laughs> that's when the work really began was understanding how much work goes into that. Especially seeing seen elk go down is a lot bigger and all the processing and all that stuff and all the packing. And it just shows you how much respect at a young age I got to have for these animals is something that I think is huge. And being able to be taught those, you know, the respect for them from a family that, that has that, I think, is good, too. Because, you know, having them teach me the, the, the wrongs and rights of it is, is something I always hold my integrity to when I'm out hunting. Um, but, yeah, that's how I got started, you know. But then through, like, my teen years, I mean, I was playing football. And that took up my whole fall, you know, and it kind of sucked. So then I got into archery because they had the January season in Arizona. So got an archery pretty good when I was about 16, 17 do those hunts. And then, you know, then I went play college football. Then uh, that time frame, then, like, I shattered my collarbone. Oh. Yeah, when I was, like, 21, so I was like, oh, man. So then I was sitting there on next fall. I was like, now what am I going to do now since I can't do this sport I like? Or. You know, what I thought I was always gonna do, I thought, you know, I was like the most kids are like, right, I'm gonna to go to the league man. we're gonna rank millions of dollars. That obviously didn't happen. So it kind of went back to the core of where where I was and something I'm very passionate about, something I wanna always contribute to was hunting and conservation and be part of that world. So having that desire, I was like, All right, so then we went to guiding. So we are doing guided elk hunts and you know, then then the rest is history. So right now I'm just guiding off, off all this year, then hopefully at the end of this fall, we're going to try to get our own website going and our own guide service and try to break out from outfitters and doing things my own way, you know?
0: Yeah, that's cool. Um, Yeah. For a guy from Southern Indiana, it's hard for me to, to put into perspective, kind of what one of those animals is like, you know, as far as, hunting them and size wise i've never been uh west of missouri so all that big game stuff you guys got out there it's uh it's a dream of mine to come out there and hunt so i, I envy you for that definitely um and i like how you talk about you know your family kind of teaching you and we'll get into the some of this later but your family teaching you kind of the ethics you know when you were younger. Um, i've just seen stuff through the years um the way that guys do things and carry themselves and uh it kind of makes you wonder you know if if their parents or whoever introduced them um didn't kind of teach them the correct ethics because you do uh when you're on public land even private land stuff you do see some some wild stuff and you're like man did your parents not tell you like that was wrong or do you not read the regulation book or you know, even stuff that's not illegal, but it's just kind of on the unethical side. So yeah, it's definitely, um, it's definitely something good to learn at a young age. It's something I plan to to teach my son. And that's something that I, I learned as well at a young age. And I think that's kind of why I am the way I am a stickler Mm -hmm. for the rule books and, and kind of doing things, you know, the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to bring you on here to talk. Um, we'll, we'll probably cover half the show on this um, about elk hunting. Um, how do you? Uh, how long did you say you had been elk hunting since you were what, like fourteen? You said.
1: Well, probably around that teenage. You know, we when I started going on those, on you know, those horseback rides and going in there. Then you know, fourteen was, yeah, when when we started really getting going on it.
0: What uh what states do you elk hunt in?
1: Just right now just Arizona. Um, yeah. I'm planning on, you know, guiding kind of takes up that kind of time to hunt for yourself. But, you know, right now we're planning for on time and money too, you know, time and money is always one of the bigger things. But right now we're actually planning for next year, if we don't draw Arizona, which we probably won't, you know, trying to do Colorado or Montana hunt. So we're we're in the we're planning the do-it-yourself kind of hunts out there. And see if we get it over the counter in one of those. I mean, I have like two points in Montana, so we might see what we could do in Montana and and what we could do in Colorado and stuff like that. And you know, Utah got well, I got six or seven deer points in Utah, so hopefully we'll be able to use those eventually.
0: So I have to ask you this. Um... And I've, co- I've kind of always wondered because I there was a time kind of in my life where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go out west to one of those guide schools. They're going to teach me how to guide. I've never even been out there, but like they're going to mm-hmm. teach me how to guide and I'm going to be a guide. Well, um, I didn't end up doing that, obviously, but I have always kind of wondered as a guide, you know, you're taking a guy out or a girl and you're getting them on the animal, getting them the shot. You're doing like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're doing most of the work other than pulling the trigger. Is that correct?
1: No, absolutely.
0: So do you ever, does that kind of, I don't know, man, I'm probably catch some flack for this, but does that ever give you like, does that give you your fix? Do you feel like you hmm. hunted or, or killed or, you know, like outsmarted or however you want to put it, that animal um, because you did do everything other than, you know, release the arrow or pull the trigger, or is it, is it not that way? Maybe I'm completely wrong.
1: Um, Honestly, like Arizona, the way I look at it is, you know, people take 10, 20 years to, to draw this hunt. So, you know, having them come out here and giving them the best chance to succeed and, you know, harvesting mature animals, I think is a huge thing in conservation. So, honestly, I think I'm doing justice of helping them get a mature animal rather than them shooting a yearling or a spike or something like that, you know, but you know, honestly, yeah. The reason, the main reason I got into guy was I can't hunt elk every year in Arizona. Uh I I can't see the bugles in September. I can't do all that. So yeah. So I would say that that gets me, you know, and and it gets me honestly, another reason I do is just being able to show people the right way kind of deal, you know, and, I don't want to be one of those guys that just like pushes you down your throat. And like, we have to kill like X amount of score. We have to shoot a 350 plus pool. We have to, uh, you know, that that's sort the of thing. You no, know, I bring my family into it. I bring, you know, like last or last late season, huh? my dad and my, my uh, fiance were there, over there, you know, helping, help do the cooking. Then, I mean, once we killed, like, I think my dad, um, his best friend and everyone else. I mean, we all came up and packed that elk out, you know, and I, like I always said, I mean, that's where family and honey and is, I think that always be tied together and being able to show that to people out of state that aren't able to bring their family that have that same values. I think it's huge too, but, but back to the, like the fixed part of it, like the adrenaline and everything, yeah. it is, but, it, but it's still different. Like I, I realize that too, like you're, you're, you, you have your emotions to weigh down more because you're not the one, like you said, you're not the one pulling the trigger. So yeah. I, I make a lot less mistakes. Yeah. Than what I so yeah. I'm not, I'm not putting so much pressure on myself to do everything right. Cause I feel more confident, I honestly feel more confident cause I don't have the adrenaline and everything pushing me. Mm-hmm. So I make less mistakes and, you know, and it's, and like you said, it is a chess match and there is some gratification for that, but at the end of the day, it's just about, you know, harvesting a quality animal and respecting
0: it, you know. Yeah, you kind of see it from a, a different perspective, I guess, as a guy than as, mm-hmm. when you, you know, when you're by yourself and it comes time for crunch time
1: and you get all shaky or whatever and... Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I remember, um, My elk hunt last year in September, you know, I mean, we had a big old bull coming in and I was calling then. I remember you know, it was, it was earlier in the hunt and it was one of the I mean, we're going to shoot the bullies when we're going to pass on. So, you know, but it's still just the early nerves of it. And I blew just a terrible call on, I a 70 yards. I just kind of stopped and tried to back out. But, you know, I mean, little mistakes like that is can lead a harvest or not be, you know.
0: Yeah. You ever uh you ever make mistakes like that and uh have issues with your clients? Like maybe he's getting ready to shoot, I'll just kind of lay like something out here, but maybe he's getting ready to shoot and you're like, no, no, no. Let him walk behind that tree. And then he does something funny and then you throw out a call and next thing you know, he does a one eighty and takes off the other way. And then the client's like, you know, yelling at you and cussing at you. You ever have any
1: issues like that? Or are they usually pretty no, like. They're so wound up in a journal and they, you know, they're, they're happy they got that encounter, but yeah, I haven't run into it yet, but I could see it. I mean, like the lastly. Public season. This guy was fixated on this palmated club bull. And behind him, way behind him, was a six by six, like 320, no broken kinds. Late season bull. all right, we just need to wait for this one. He's like, I want that clubbed one. <laughs> I was like, man, there's, that's a really nice bull back there. He's uh like, no, I, just, I wanted to do this one. I was like, I mean, it's your hunt at the end of the day. Are you going to be happy with this? And he said, yes sir i'll be happy with this and he shot it and then the rest was history you know so so i I let him pick them i'm not gonna Hey, do not shoot that bull like you know it's their hunt you know it's their tag
0: yeah yeah it's gotta be um imagine a lot of guys come from out of state you know and they only have so much time off work and everything so it's gotta be it's gotta be even more like you know i put myself under a lot of pressure and i've got tons of time to deer hunt you know on the weekends and after work but those guys they might be off work for just a week and they have so many days to fill that tag so they're like go 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 and mm. uh, i can imagine that gets uh, get your anxiety levels pretty high yeah so i want to jump into some diy elk hunting so for somebody just kind of getting started with no field knowledge i guess um kind of apply this to myself um what's a good strategy kind of for planning your own diy elk hunt Um, and more specifically somewhere like arizona or you know out west Mm -hmm. a place that i've never been you know i've never been west of missouri so i don't even know what it looks like out there other than the the good old internet so how Mm -hmm. can i uh how can i go about that and make a i guess a smart decision
1: well, it depends how much time you're willing to wait until you do it. Like, Arizona, if you want to wait for a draw, then I, I honestly, I don't suggest for, like, a do-it-self hunter to wait for Arizona. I'd say go and do, like, an over-the-counter Colorado and go do that and get some experience under your belt. I mean, if you wait, you know, eight years for uh, an Arizona tag, I mean, that's where I highly suggest guides is in that situation. But, I mean, if you're confident you take in multiple bulls in that in that time frame while you're waiting to get drawn for Arizona, then you have a lot more confidence and a lot more knowledge where you'll be able to do that. But for just starting off to yourself, I mean, always I was always always say just start like over the counter. You can do a Colorado, um, one of those limited entry um, Montana hunts, you go there, there's a lot of one time hundred percent success draw rates over there. So you can do those. That, that's kind of what i'm looking at now as i'm i'm planning my own you know and um you know new mexico is a, is a decent option too um they don't have a bonus point system so everything's just random draw so it's either hit or miss kind of but yeah i'd say always just if there's an opportunity to go try to take that opportunity and get your feet wet before you just waste a bunch of years and time and money before you and you go out there at one time and you might not even get an opportunity because you're not experienced with it.
0: So don't take offense to this, but um, I've heard a lot of guys, you know, when this DIY first time thing for a guy Mm. from Southern Indiana or Illinois or wherever it might be, some some guy that didn't grow up out West, everyone's like, man, you need to do – a guided hunt your first time let the uh let the guide kind of show you the ropes Mm -hmm. and then next time you go back you'll kind of you'll kind of know a little bit of of what you need to do well to me it makes sense but Mm -hmm. i've got an issue um i've got an issue with it i guess for my own self goals i feel i feel like it's um not I guess easy wouldn't be the correct word I feel like it's almost tainted for me um I kind of want to do that on my own I kind of I'm just stubborn by nature I Mm. I want to I want to feel the whole uh wrath um of the hunt you know I want to feel the struggle I don't want it I don't want want it to feel like somebody helped me I guess as bad as that sounds I I don't want to feel like somebody helped me do it and that I didn't do it on my own so how do you kind of as a guide you may mm. feel differently and that's that's no. okay but i would i'd would kind of like to get your <laughs> perspective on
1: that no i completely agree i'm the same way um most people like guy are guided probably in their 50s and 60s honestly so these are guys that been hunting and been out to montana's and the carros and their young years and, and did these huntings. these are the ones that been applying for those arizona hunts to get a like a mature quality animal so i completely agree i mean just for the satisfaction, just for the growing as a hunter and stuff, being able to go do those do yourself hunts, I'm all for it. Like, um, you know, I mean, I'm the same way. If I go to a different state, I'm not going to hire a guide. I'm going to go and I'm going to do it myself, you know? So, I mean, I I have a little bit more knowledge because of all the elk in Arizona a little bit, but going to Colorado is going to be, the country's going to be a lot different and, you know, being able to kind of diverse, and, you know, but I get a little bit more leeway because I could call some guides up in there in Colorado, talk to some outfitters up there, you know, and kind of pick their brain and see here's some good spots and historically in the past. And honestly, I mean, some guides and some outfitters might not appreciate it, but if you call them and just be like, hey, this is what I'm trying to do, they might point you in somewhat of a direction through e scouting. But like you look at this mountain or you could look at, um, This unit and and give you some sort of an idea, but most of them are probably gonna be a little bit hard headed about it and be like, No, this is how I'm making money. I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, probably like 90% of them, but you know, I talked to some of them, but and they'll be a little bit more lenient. And you know, it just depends on who it is.
0: Have you, uh, what's something that you never hunted here in North America? Black, have you hunted? I want
1: to hunt whitetail, that's one thing I haven't got. I've been hunting these stupid little coos deer. Okay. And, you know, and those, those things aren't those white tails that taste delicious up in the east coast. I heard from what I hear is they're very good and they have a whole tradition, a whole thing about white tail hunting. I, I want to be part of that. Um that's another out of state hunt I'm planning to do eventually. Would you
0: uh I guess whitetails are a little different. I was going for something more exotic, but we'll just kind of play off of that. Like yeah. if if you were gonna hunt something, I guess that was gonna be considered like pretty hard to do, like maybe out my way or something, would you mm. ever consider hiring a guide or no?
1: Yeah, I would hire a guide for a bighorn sheep hunt. Yeah. Yeah. To like if I ever drew... be... how come? it's just a once in a lifetime tag. I mean, you only get yeah. one shot at it and right. you know these people do it every year. So absolutely. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll hire a guide for that, but. So you think you it kind of,
0: for you, it's just kind of, um, depends on the situation, I guess, if it's something that, you know, that you're going to be able to try again, maybe the next year and mm-hmm. two years, you're probably not going to go the guide route, but if it's going to be like, you better get it done in this, this week or you're never going to get to do it again. Like you may want oh, yeah, exactly, to, you, yeah. you
1: may want to, yeah. Yeah. If I draw like a Buffalo tag or, you know, a bighorn sheep tag. Yeah. Definitely going to get a guide. Um, yeah. I mean, other than that, or even a, um, like Alaska hunt, like a grizzly hunt, I'll definitely get a guide. I think you have to, but even if I didn't have to, I would um, probably a moose hunt too. Yeah, you you're not gonna be able to do a moose hunt more than more than twice in your life. There's grizzly no
0: hunt—that's my—that's my dream right there. Yeah, I've been. <laughs> <someday>. <laughs>
1: yeah, the fiance gets mad at me when I go up and look at these moose grizzly combo tags. It's only—it's only forty grand. Let's just do it. <laughs> not that much. It's not that much. Yeah,
0: I've—I've um, I've never actually had elk. I've heard elk is—is uh is pretty tasty.
1: Oh man, I love elk. Yeah. I I absolutely take elk over any of the mule deer, antelope, or deer, and take them over everything over here. Yeah, I'm sure you get a lot more
0: meat off of an elk than I do a big old 200-pound whitetail. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. So um, as far as, like, getting tags, um, you know, for somebody that maybe, you know, is a non-resident or mm. or whatever, the, the tags and the buying the tags and the draws and all that, it can get pretty, um, pretty confusing. Um, is there any kind of, you know, advice that you would give for, for kind of doing, you know, getting in a lottery and putting in for your tags? And is there any strategy that comes in for putting in a tag? Is it help you if you put in early um, it help you if you put in late? Um, kind of talk about the point system and that kind of stuff
1: yeah like the point system in arizona you know there's definitely strategies to do it i mean the easiest way to get your points is you can take the hunter safety course in arizona it gives you one point you take um the ethic hunting in arizona that's another point so that, there's two points right there and each point's a year so you're at two years right now and honestly <laughs> you kind of have to do that just to be at zero now because everyone's been doing it um you know but when you go look at the regulations, like in Arizona, I, probably most states too, especially for lottery draws, um, if you look at the tag number and the population of the total elk in that unit, you kind of get a better idea of how success that draw will be, if you all the more chance of drawing it, you know, so if you look at, you know, there's a hunt that has like 35 tags, you know, that's one of those considered the, one of those trophy hunts. So, you're not going to really, you know, that's a probably for a non resident, probably a 15 to 20 year wait. So, you know, so it's picking those battles, you know, but if you pick one that has like, a, there's one that has 700 tags for early archery, you, know, you go do that one, there's going to be a buttload of hunters. There's going to be everyone, everyone on public land, everyone is running loose. You have every Elmer Fudd in the woods at that point you know, and the quality elk aren't that great, but, you know, you get to hunt it, you know, and that could probably be, for a non-resident, probably, I mean, if you get two points, probably mm, two to three year wait hmm. to go hunt that unit, you know, so, so there's other options and stuff, but, you know, I always say New Mexico is always great too, just how they have the random draw, that's a, that's a good one, you know. Um,
0: now, do you have to purchase the tag prior to, to make sure that, Um, you know, that I don't put in for it and then say, Hey, Mm -hmm. I don't have
1: the money to pay you guys. That's another thing. So when in Arizona goes, so you apply for the draw, I think for non-res is like 15 bucks, but you have to buy the year hunting license too. So that's another thing. So you have to buy the hunting license for the whole year and uh, the permit draw. So then I think, I think they draw the last week of March. And everyone just goes and checks their credit card every freaking second of every day, seeing oh. if they got hit with the charge. Um, oh, so they you, only
0: they only charge you if you get drawn. Then yeah, so if, yeah. You, if
1: if I mean it sucks if you get do get drawn and you don't have the funds in there, it just goes on to the next person. Mm. So you better just have just make sure you have that cash in the hand or you know, that credit limit up, you know. <laughs>
0: that's uh yeah it's interesting i kind of always wondered about because i know here in indiana if you put in for like um a military base hunt or something you have to have purchased the license prior to and here you have to buy the license and put in for it be Mm -hmm. to be able to put in for it and then if you don't get drawn like you still have the license but it's you know it's not going to be thousands of dollars either so you know it's couple hundred bucks or you know a hundred bucks so it's Mm -hmm. a little less of a hit and you're probably gonna hunt anyway even if you don't get drawn for those um things as to where there you know you're probably just trying to get drawn for that one thing and there's only one tag to buy so Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna kind of play off that i i got drawn and i'm gonna come out there um and i just uh i guess i just snagged me a an elk bugle or some elk calls off the internet had no idea what I was doing and I'm making my way out there um can you kind of explain what you would kind of show me or teach me um as far as calling goes when it comes to like pitches and tones um when calling an elk Mm.
1: yeah I mean I think the biggest thing for do-it-yourself hunters when they're first learning how to do it don't do it (laughs) <laughs> just <you> know, <laughs> just don't do it just do yeah. a little bit more uh, spot and stock kind of deal um especially if you only have a week to hunt where you're supposed to be but i mean if you're because when you go in the different tones and everything what i do is i start from a low tone then i kind of go up so you have that traditional actually uh, let me go grab my call real quick heck
0: yeah call... let's hear it man i'll be right back Stand by, everybody. We're about to hear a an elk call on on the Hunt the Wild podcast. I might turn my might have turned my headphones down so it doesn't blow my my one good ear. I can hear <laughs> out of. That's why I don't hunt turkeys because I'm you know half deaf and I can't tell where oh. they're coming from.
1: Oh no, I'm not gonna blow a bugle, man. Okay, let's hear oh, it. So for the cow call, I'll start the just the regular mew, you know, just. Just kind of uh. something real simple, something real low. Just kind of see how they react, you know, in different things when they're in the pre-rut is a lot different than when they're in the rut. I mean, if they're in the rut and they hear that they're coming, they're running straight up to you, you know? So the pre arts where you have to kind of play those little bit vocals with them. You have to understand like what what's appropriate so, and what's kind of Yeah, not. exactly. Yeah. And the only way to find that is trial and error. Yeah. Every elk's different. You know, they all have different personalities, you know, from a satellite bull to a, you know, a herd bull. (laughs) They all react different. But so, like, you go from (coughs) to that to this. (coughs) And just get that higher tone. Mm -hmm. And then that's going to attract them a little bit more. Then you could drag them out a little bit. You could do (coughs) just kind of drag it out and drop. You know, and just kind of play with that a little bit and being able to see what they're going to do and see what they like because, you know, they all they all like different things, just like humans, you know. Yeah. So, so that's something I do realize is, like, knowing those different tone levels and being able to play with that a little bit, you know, it goes a long way when you're calling.
0: That sounds, uh, you know, very, very similar to hunting whitetails In pre-rut and rut here, you know, um, you may blow a grunt during pre-rut and a deer might be 20 yards from you and, you know, he's behind a tree or whatever. You're trying to get him, pull him out. He might not react at all. He may just walk the other way, but then you get in that deep, hardcore, just like, where those deer are just drooling and stupid and you throw out that grunt and like a deer that would never, ever in a million years come to somebody using a a grunt Mm -hmm. call, um, will come right in. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense about the time of the year and all that stuff. Yeah. And it's interesting to hear, hear those calls because, you know, I I noticed the different pitches just a little bit, but like, you know, I, I guess I had always just assumed that they were mostly just the same. I didn't realize that like a cow call had like different pitches for different you know, times of the year, or different situations. I thought it was just kind of like a, like a most bleak calls that you buy for whitetails, they pretty much sound the same. You don't really mm-hmm. use too much of a tone. It's more of a, a lot of times you just try to make it loud, I guess, but the tone's mostly the same. So yeah, that's interesting.
1: Yeah. Then you go in the bugle tube. And once you're in the bugle tube too, with those little mews, you could do a little bit more other things with them, you know, but just how long you hold them and how, you know how much tongue pressure you get. That goes a long way. Just seeing how they react, especially when they're not when they start start trying to wind you and circle you and not really understand. Like, because you know they're not stupid. You know they they've been around. They know what September hunt. You know comes around. There'll be some people blowing horns out there. So, you know, trying to be able to mix it up and really really get them on their toes is is always fun. That's that's the funnest thing is be playing that little chess match with them.
0: So um if I was gonna buy you know a, a, a cow call and a bugle and and get all that gear, you know, calls to come out there, mm-hmm. is is there ones that are better than others? Um mm-hmm. does does brand and price matter? Like are you gonna get more for your money if you spend a lot of money? Kind of like what's all that stuff cost um, and what kind of brand do you use and why do you kind of choose that brand over others?
1: Um, I run the Rocky mountain um, elk calls and I usually just stick with the Steve Chapel brand ones. <laughs> um, so I, that, that's what I use. Um, You know, I started off with like some cheap like $2 call, like Wayne Carlton or something like that. And, I mean, they work, but you're not able to hit these different tones. And each each call does something else. They'll they'll have double reads. They'll have low cuts in them, almost like like turkey mouth calls. Some will have these double, you know, little cut things where you're able to hit some, you know, lip ball bugles and some higher pitch and a little bit more whiny, you know. So, yeah, so I I usually just run with the the Rocky Mountain ones. Those give you just more versatility, you know, as to just the generic, you know, cheaper ones. I think bugles, I think you should spend a little bit more money on if you're, if you're, you know, doing bugles. I mean, being able to project sound really well and, and you know, being able to hit those deep, raspy ones is, is really good to have, you know. And it's the same thing, the Rocky Mountain elk calls. Um, and the Phelps, too. I mean, I, I've been reading some good things on Phelps um, calls as well. So th- those are bugle tubes. And those ones are pretty good as well.
0: So I guess for the bugles, is it the more expensive or the more money you spend, kind of the better Mm. raspy projection sound that you get?
1: Is that kind of the deal or does it really matter? It honestly doesn't matter. It's just, it's the user behind all the the mouth calls, honestly. Yeah. If you're able to fluctuate your throat and being able to hit those real raspy chuckles i mean it takes so much practice to do it like a chuckle or a um a deep right when they start that big like almost like they're it's just just a deeper if you're able to do that you know i mean but once you do have a little bit more quality ones you you could hear the difference between a cheaper one and that one you know what i mean
0: yeah yeah it makes uh it makes total sense i'm always a guy that um you know, I'll spend the money on good gear, but I'll also use, um, good gear, good gear. That's, you know, cheaper. I don't necessarily, I'm not a, I'm not a really a, a big brand guy. I am a big believer in, you know, you could probably kill a deer all day with, you know, a a twig and some string. If you had practiced with it for months and months and months on end, I think a lot of, a lot of hunters and I'm guilty of it too get kind of caught up in, the brand and the more money you spend, the more successful mm-hmm. you'll be. But I think a lot of it just comes down to practice. And that's kind
1: of Absolutely. what sounds like elk calling is. Oh yeah, definitely. Just the more you do it, you know, I, I practice on my way to, when I go to work and stuff, I'll practice in my car, you know, if I don't piss the old lady off. Yeah. It's <laughs> all so in the car and stuff. And yeah, I, I try to practice quite often, especially now this time of season. I mean, after turkey season i'll really get into it yeah you gotta
0: you're definitely a guy that's gotta stay sharp on your skills you got people depending on you when you're out there guiding (laughs) so um i guess we'll jump into a little bit about gear talk when it comes to elk hunting um you know obviously you're probably carrying a gps or you know a phone with onyx or whatever you're using Mm -hmm. and water and a knife and stuff like that but Is there any gear, you know, specifically that you've found over the years that's really helped you out and and helped you be more successful in the field? Is there anything that kind of sticks out in your head? And maybe it is something simple like a knife, you know, but um, what's something that somebody should should invest in or um, make sure that they kind of have before they're headed out, Mm. you know, to spend thousands of dollars and and waited 10 years or whatever to get drawn for a hunt or whatever the case might be, what do they need to make sure they bring with them?
1: Um, I always think really good glass will, will go a long ways, you know, not having um, lowering binoculars and glass. I think glass always out West is something really good to have, but um, oh, I think honestly,
0: you- clothing when you say glass just for anybody that's not familiar with it kind of explain oh. what that is too because there may be some some newer hunters on here and they might not know
1: also glass is just basically your optics your binoculars spotting scope um rifle scopes so i'd say having good quality glass in that aspect you know being able to see large distances out west is is something you have to do you have to see 2,000 yards and Mm-hmm. I mean, having that gear helps them find animals. I mean, elk, you are thinking, all right, those things are freaking huge. You don't really they'll be easy to spot and they're they're not. So having a good glass helps helps a lot.
0: Would you say that's your number one thing that's probably helped you out is like a good spotting scope?
1: Um I imagine I imagine I imagine, your, I
0: imagine your pack is probably pretty yeah, that's, uh, that's important cuz are uh, I imagine like if if I was to guess cuz like I said I have no idea I would assume that your your boots and your pack would really matter because you're you know probably on your feet a lot of the day and you're probably carrying a lot of weight especially if you shoot one.
1: Oh yeah, if you shoot one you definitely need a good pack, you know, like like in pack was I run Mystery Ranch. Um, I run the Beartooth when I do my Beartooth 80 for when I do my elk hunting, I mean, that you know, then I use the Pintler and the Metcalf for deer hunting. But for that elk hunt, I always bring that, that big boy because packing all that weight, I mean, it's, you know, you have 130 pounds on for taking four trips. Yeah. But yeah, pack is a huge one. You know, boots are always something really, boots and clothing, I think, is another one I will spend more money on almost every day of the week. You know, being able to – especially in Arizona when it's hot and stuff, being able to have long sleeves that keep you cool and not stink you up is something big, you know, and having those – that good clothing, lightweight, you know, breathable, that you're not going to, uh, you know, stink up the whole forest and, you know, having that where you wear a couple days into the hunt is always huge. And late season staying freaking warm while you're glassing and sitting around, you know, is, is always – always beneficial.
0: so um i know you're not on a ton of social media so maybe you're not aware of this and maybe you are um there's lots of let's this call it drama around um clothing these days you know sitka and first light and, mm. you know whatever people are wanting to wear so I'll, sometimes i ask my guests what kind of clothing they're rocking so I'm kind of curious. What do you wear when you're out elk hunting?
1: No, uh, I go with Kuyu.
0: Yeah, see, yeah. I almost guessed that. I almost guessed you were you're one of those guys. I don't get that answer very often.
1: Oh, I think Kuyu. Um, because I ran Sika before, and I had like this Killix stuff too. I mean, it was, it was all right, but you know, Kuyu is the most flexible, breathable, lightest weight ones I I could find, and I mean, they help. I mean. Yeah, I think they're worth every penny. I don't care how expensive they are, but yeah. you know, I, I think they're definitely worth the money when you're out from like 20 degrees to 85 in September, then you could throw on the Peloton and still be warm And the late hunts when it's freaking 10 degrees and snow on the ground, you know. It's just very versatile. Yeah.
0: It's always interesting to see, you know, where, you know, other people hunt in other states and stuff, kind of the different...
1: Yeah, I um, noticed that, like, east side is more first light. And then I think, like, Montana is, is more, I guess, Montana, Washington. I think they're more Sitka. And then, like, out west, I think, is Kuyu. In Alaska, almost everyone I know in Alaska does Kuyu. Yeah. It's weird how it's kind of region-based, isn't it? Yeah, a, year. <laughs> a, a lot of
0: people. A lot of people I know around here that hunt. Uh, most of them are rocking um, either old army surplus gear or uh, some stuff from Walmart or you know cheap camo from Cabela's or Bass Pro. But I'll tell you what, man, I wore that stuff for years and bought new pants and stuff every year. They fade, they get wet, they weigh seven thousand pounds when you you know Excellent. the they get wet. So I switched to uh, to First Light this year, man, and like anything, it's, it's an investment. Um, um, but I couldn't be more than happy with it. I love, I love how quick it dries. I love how it layers and, uh, it, it's really packable. It's, uh, it's amazing that, you know, I can get one of their hoodies and, um, a sock hat and gloves all in a pouch that I used to only be able to fit one hoodie in. So for exactly. me, that, that was super important because I'm always packing around camera gear and all this other stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm sure you know how it is to pack all that stuff and need to be able to save some room absolutely um so i guess for people that have never hunted elk before um your fitness is probably pretty important i i can see that maybe and you probably have a lot of experience with this guiding but i can see that kicking a lot of people in the ass you know they're probably like i can just see a guy getting ready to go on a hunt a month prior and he's like man, I'm going to go to planet fitness and get in shape for this hunt. Then he's like, man, I can run. I'm doing okay. Then he shows up there and it probably just like beats him to death. How important is it to be in shape and kind of, if you were in my shoes you're Mm -hmm. from Indiana where it's, you know, we have a little bit of Hills here in, in Kentucky where I hunt, but it's probably nothing like you guys have. How would, how would a guy like me get in shape to hike around a mountain for a week or two weeks or whatever it might be
1: um honestly um when i go i honestly put some weight in my pack or get like a little vest and i'll just go on the stair climbers when it's closer to the season and i'll just go climb you know at least i'll try to get like a mile a day on the stair climbers and knock that out you know i'm trying to aim for that five mile a week kind of deal just on stair climbers and going you know just doing little hikes around you know, just go and find a nice little hill to go hike. Just keep that weight on your back so you know, like, this is what it's going to be because it's a lot easier to just go do that stuff without weight on your back. Then, you know, load it up. Do some ones where you're putting on 100 pounds of, you know, when you have meat on. So you, you have that feeling and because <laughs> a lot of people don't do that when they get on the mountain. They're falling all over. You know, yeah. weight Where they're able to. Maintain it. And that that's something big, you know, being able to, you know, do that is just basically put the weight on your back and, you know, hit stair climbers and little hikes around is, is always beneficial.
0: I can, I can just picture in my head the looks I'm, you know, one of these days, I'm going to take your advice. I'm going to come out there and elk hunt and I'm going to have to prepare for this. So yeah. I guess I'll get me a big pack and load it down with 100 pounds of weight and walk into Planet yeah. Fitness and get on the, Step master. Cool. I can imagine the looks I'm going to get.
1: Oh, what's that thing they have at Planet Fitness? <laughs> that alarm, lunk alarm or whatever? Yeah.
0: They'll
1: uh-huh. yeah, go off immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: just going to go in there and start s- stuffing all the, uh, you know, the little weights and stuff that have the alarms on them and stuff them in my pack till I get to hundred pounds. I guess I'll know when I get there cause I can just yeah. look at the weights, So, you know, i figure yeah. out how much weight I got on me. <laughs> So you you think steps then are, are the most important thing like climbing steps because that's probably the most similar to to the terrain yeah, and what you're
1: doing. Yeah, because it gets it gets vertical quick, and being able to be on those steps kind of kind of simulates it. But you know, you you can't really beat just being able to find a nice mountain and just kind of crossing it and mm-hmm. just climbing it. You know that that always helps. Always find think- a mountain if you see one or. You know, when you have the opportunity to, is always always good just to be able to throw your pack on and, and get some some little bit of experience of it. So I'm curious, um,
0: how many guys show up there? You know, because here we wear muck boots a lot, or I wear muck boots a lot. They're I don't know if you're familiar with muck boots out there or not, but they're just like rubber slip on boots, and you ain't climbing a mountain in them. They're more for walking cornfields, and you know. That's just what I wear here because I don't really need a whole lot. But, you know, a guy like me probably going to buy a a new set of boots to come out there to Elk Hunt. How many guys show up with a brand-new set of boots they've never worn and just have their feet torn
1: apart? No, no. That's that's one of the things. Like, if you're going to get new boots, at least wear them. Oh, man. I tell them at least put at least – try to get 10 miles on those things before you get up here. Yeah. I don't want to – you know, it's something I don't want to hear about your feet hurting and having that and having – I don't want to pack you out while packing everything else out.
0: You ever have guys show up that don't do that? Oh, no. No.
1: A lot of them, are, like I said, most of them are like in the 50s and 60s, and they have these worn-out boots, and like, you got to break them in, man. <laughs> yeah, gotta, they're almost know. too worn out. <laughs> yeah, they're too worn out. They're, they're broken in. They have holes yeah. in them.
0: Yeah, that's that's
1: most of what I see.
0: Yeah, that's uh... – you know, you think most people probably think you just load up and go out there and shoot an elk. You grab a rifle or a bow or whatever. But there's like a I'm a real preparation guy, so I'm always like trying to pick ever pick all the pieces apart, like everything in my pack and my boots and having them broke in and being in shape. And like, there's a lot to it, man.
1: <laughs> no, the especially biggest for point. the money you're investing. Oh, yeah, the biggest and the best gear you can possibly get is a 120 quart ice chest. Yeah, at least two of those, because a lot of people don't come with ice chests and go, what do do with this meat? <laughs> like, what do you mean? So they'll have to run over and get some ice chests. But pack, you know, always pack those ice chests when you're going to an elk hunt. And I'm telling you, I think 220s and, you know, a 45 quart will, will be plenty.
0: And uh, usually um, you usually keep icing those in the truck or or uh, is that something you kind of oh you get afterwards
1: um, you kind of hit it afterwards um you know you always like to preach on but you're yeah. not able to i mean like it's a september hunt we kill you know we get back to camp um you know just trying to just we'll have ice there and we'll get that on ice cool the meat off as soon as possible um you know a lot of times i'll, I'll just I, I like processing it so i'll start cutting freaking the loins start getting some steaks prepared and start cutting off the roast and start putting them in the baggies for them. I'm like, here you go. You could you could, do, this. will feed you the next month. Yeah. <laughs> then while they go and get their ice from the, from the old gas station or something while they're doing that, I'll be cutting their meat up for them.
0: You ever, uh, you ever get any, any crazy dudes out there, maybe girls. I don't know. that are like, they shoot their, shoot their elk and, they want to take a bite out of the raw heart or smear blood all over them or eat the eyeballs or anything crazy like that. I mean, I'm <laughs> sure you see some characters as you're guiding. It's got to oh, be some
1: stories. There's no char- – honestly, I haven't seen anything like that. It's, most of them are, like I said, just, you know, just 50, 60-year-old men. That's just – that's all I've guided, honestly, so far is those late later in – that just retired and they've been trying to get this when they retire. And a lot of them are down-to-earth kind of dudes, you know, but – you know, one story is one, like, we're getting one out right on there, right where he shot him on the game trail. Another elk started walking down, and it, it was it was bigger, too. It was, like, it was a nice six-by-six, six, and he was, like, I'm going to shoot it. I was, like, what do, you, what do you mean? We got this right here. And he was, oh like, that was way bigger. I was, like, no, no, don't even think about it. And he's, like, I mean, it literally came to 15 yards with us. And I was like, "Yeah, I don't." So that that's one story, but you yeah. know, I'm not sure so everything was fine. But,
0: that's good. Yeah, that could put, yeah. that could put you in a hairy situation, I imagine. Absolutely, not a situation you want to be in. Um, so I basically drew my tag, got all prepared and everything, I'm getting ready to head out west. You know, in a month or so, how am I gonna? How am I gonna scout for these elk for a place I've never been? I mean probably gonna get on on X be number one in Google Earth but um is there anything specific you're you're looking for and um does somebody need to kind of show up early? Do they need to show up a you know two or three days early or is that something that you just kind of learn as as the hunt progresses?
1: It depends um like if I'm preparing like how I'm preparing for this Colorado season is you know, archery always go later than earlier. That's when the rut gets better. You don't want to go early when they're in that pre-rut. You don't want to have that stuff going on, you know, where they might be talking, they might be still being bachelor. So that's one thing is always always prepare for the second week if it's a two-week hunt for archery. Um, then like e scouting wise. Honestly, what I do, I'll go, I'll look at trailheads. I'll click on trailheads. I'll pull them up on like all trails and stuff. And I'll go and see what, you know, what um, hikers are posting. They'll post photos and stuff. And I'll go look at those and kind of get a little bit better feel of the country rather than seeing it on Onyx and Google Earth and that kind of stuff. You to see a little bit more how vertical it is you know, what kind of vegetation, you know, kind of what kind of see like, oh, that might be a good feeding spot and stuff like that, you know. So being able to pull up those little trailheads and kind of see those pictures, I, I, I do that and I go, then I'll go to that spot. Then you have a little bit more familiar where that country is going to be. Then you can kind of pinpoint where the, off those trails are you kind of go up on a finger on a ridge and kind of see where the saddles are. So when you get up there, you don't have to find those things
0: okay
1: if that makes sense
0: so you're mainly focusing on you're mainly going finding a trail getting up to a high high point and then glassing is that kind of how it works
1: I um, mean, yeah so like what i do is when i when i go to the scout dash area from like those pictures i'll, I'll see those pictures and try to get a guesstimate of where they're at then because I don't really like to hunt trailheads, so I'll try to find a finger way off in the distance in that picture, and but I want to go on that. So I'll try to find a way to hike on the map where I'm able to get to that, and that's where I'll try to go and try to glass all that area over there. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so um, I think we kind of covered mostly, you know, if somebody wants to try to plan their own, uh, DIY elk kind of get their feet on the ground and c- kind of the stuff that they need to prepare for and um, the stuff that they need and kind of gears them in the right direction I'm you know we just barely touch base on it and I'm sure there's a ton more to know um, but I want to transition a little bit into hunting ethics which is something that you uh, are pretty passionate about um, something that's you know, not talked about a whole lot. I feel like, you know, I listen to their podcasts and stuff and it's a lot of, you know, what we've covered gear talk and, and tactics and stuff, but I don't hear too much about hunting ethics. So if you want to, if you want to tackle, tackle the hunting ethics subject here, I'll kind of put you on the spot and we'll, we'll kind of jump into that. Um, So the term trophy hunting has been around for, for, decades and it's used a lot you know in the industry today everybody's talking about is it a trophy or i killed a trophy or does he score enough to be a trophy how do you feel about the term trophy and do you think that it takes away or or hurts the hunting industry as a whole hey guys real quick ad from our sponsors over at buzzard roost saddles buzzard roost saddles are proudly made in the usa and their independent angle adjustments on the top and bottom panels provide the ultimate comfort for those long sits. Buzzard Roost stands by their motto, We Ain't Fancy, and they help you achieve your goal while keeping things simple. You can connect with Buzzard Roost Saddles on Facebook and Instagram, or you can visit their website at
1: buzzardroostsaddles.com. I don't think it hurts the industry. I think... I just think it puts a bad name on it that people, I don't think people actually trophy hunt. I think that's the biggest thing. I think people go out and kill mature animals. And then the term trophy hunting is originated from anti hunting organizations. You know, they, they want to put it in a sport, they want to put it in a hobby. And I've never seen hunting as a hobby or a sport or anything like that. I see hunting as, you know, I mean, it's our primal instincts. You know, that's where we go back to. And having that adrenaline and having those that food source is the most organic one. So I think moral of the story is we don't hunt for sport. We hunt to survive. And I think that's something that we need to have in, you know, that we need to sustain forever, you know. I think human beings need to hunt. We are hunters. We are hunters and gatherers. So that's something I always that I try to push. But, you know, the term trophy hunting, I think, I think that's one of the last legs – anti-hunting organizations had to stand on. And if we take that out, they really have nothing else to say because it, because that's the whole thing is it's a sport. It's a sport. It's a sport. They're killing animals for fun. They're just killing them, put them on their wall. You know, and I think, you know, I mean, you know, some people might trophy hunt. Some people might do that. I mean, it's like a 90% to a 10%. It's a 10% bad eggs that trophy hunt. and 90% of us don't. And going back to when I was growing up, <laughs> having this heard around... I heard around it before it was on meat eater or anything. Um, I was, you know, my dad and I, my uncle were. I was asking about their mounts in the wall, and he and my dad and my uncle was like, "So this is why we put the mounts in the wall. We put them on to show respect and show the animals that we are using them, we are eating them, we're eating them, we're eating them from hoof to horn, you know. So, and not only that, we're sharing a story, the story of this animal, story of that hunt that we're able to to cherish and respect that animal." So I think it goes a little bit further than you know when you mount an animal, you're not mounting it as a decoration, you're mounting it as respect for the animal, you know. So that's the point where I, where I have a trophy hunting is we're not trophy hunting, so why call it trophy hunting?
0: Yeah, so kind of two things. One, like, you know, you can see see the the euro mounts behind me. Like mm-hmm. I I'm the same way. Like I don't give a shit what anybody thinks about the deer on my wall. Like I really, I really don't care. I put them up there as, you know, a memory. It reminds me of that hunt. It reminds, you know, my family, you know, people that live in my house kind of their experience with it. Cause you know, as you know, as a hunter, everybody in your household is kind of tied into it. Even if they're not on the hunt, they're seeing you for me, you know, it's tracking a deer for three hours and dragging it home at 1am after you drove home two hours and hanging it in the garage and it's just like a whole a whole story so it's like for me like hanging it on the wall and somebody walks in and sees it like they don't know shit about it like they don't understand it i don't really care what they think mm-hmm. and two trophy hunting the the term trophy hunting is it's a weird thing for me. And and the, the word trophy, I guess specifically is a weird thing for me because one, when you go scoring animals in Pope and young and Boone and Crockett stuff, it's almost like you have to recognize it as a trophy. Like people say, Mm -hmm. you know, people will reference it. Is that a trophy? And what they mean by that is, did it make the books? And at, 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 you know, part of you wants to say, yeah, it's a trophy, but you know, it made the books and the other part of me wants to say, can we just like use another word? Because that sounds so, um, I'm not, I'm not sure of the word that I'm looking for, but it sounds almost, it sounds too sporty, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it kind of sucks that that has become that's, you know, that, that anti-hunting brought that kind of into the thing. And now, you know, we use that term and all we're really doing is, is fueling the fire for the antis, you know, but we've come so used to using that term that it's almost like, what else do, you know, what else do we use? Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, when it comes to the word trophy, you know, that deer might not be a trophy, a trophy when it comes to the books, but it's like, it's a trophy to me. So like, how do I call it a trophy without actually calling it a trophy? Cause I'm scared to call it a trophy because I'm afraid of, you know, the backlash I'm going to get somebody thinking that I'm a sport hunter, but it, you know, in a way it, you know, it is a trophy to me, even if it's a, a nice size doe or something, or, you know, a, a squirrel or whatever it might be, you know, I'm happy that I, I got it. It's
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, I don't know, man. It's just kind of like a puts hunters in a weird situation and people have kind of just fell into that. That trophy mentality—I don't know—I just think it. I think that word—it just kind of gives off the wrong image.
1: Exactly. I mean, this rig twenty twenty-two. Everyone's offend, offended by something, but you know, I think the the only reason I have a problem with the word trophy is—is this that negative thing where it gives the anti-hunting organization a chance? It gives them an opportunity. But like these guys are hunting in the wrong ethical ways. Uh-huh. you know and no matter how you know no matter how hard you could try to explain yourself and like but you have a trophy you have a trophy you have a trophy it's not a trophy it's a story it's a, yeah. it's a respect for the animal you know and it's something that's that is real hard to really come to a different term like i'm not offended by the term i'm not like let's yeah. just throw the whole trophy word out no i'm, I'm just saying like being proactive as hunters to keep hunting around, you know, if we're able to just eliminate the word trophy hunting from like, you know, like I said, like outfitting websites and stuff like that, just being able to get rid of that and be like, that's a mature animal. You know, yeah. like we shot a mature animal, you know, did it make the boon and Crockett? I mean, we could still have the boon and Crockett, like, yeah, did it. You know what I mean? But I think having that, that term, Kind of, uh, I honestly the better way to do is just. To, there's so many different ways that could be around this, or someone could find it offensive, or someone could find it. You know, like I'm not going to stop saying something. I don't give a hell what they think. You know, kind of deal. But having the the term trophy always brings the sport back into it. Yeah, you know that's something that it's not fair, but it is because like I said, it's that 10% that are trophy hunters that actually go out there and just kill animals, kill animals from some sick, sadistic point of view or something like that as of actual hunters doing ethical ways that are killing mature animals. And I always go back to the, you see, even like in the meat or episode where they're doing the Wisconsin whitetail hunt, the standard. I mean, we could just go straight to the, just the standard. The standard is not the trophy, it's the standard. The standard for Boone and Crockett measures 180 for a mule deer. That's yeah. the standard, you know?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, man, yeah. I'm going to think on that. I'm going to, you know, everybody's so used to hearing, you know, that mm. word trophy to get it to kind of, you know, in our realm of hunting and, and you know, everyone uses that term. I'm, I'm going to think on that, man. I'm going to make a t-shirt or something and use a different word other than trophy, yeah. I don't know. I'll have to think on it, but like like you said, it just uh, gives the wrong impression, and it gets thrown around a lot, and it it, it almost makes it, you know, it sounds like a game. It makes it, mm-hmm. you know, to the antis, it's like you're playing a football game. You won, you won, you want a trophy, you know, you exactly. win a trophy playing a game, and hunting's, you know, it's it's a chess match, but it's not a game. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in the in the guiding industry you know is that something that that is used a lot by outfitters for for marketing and advertising like if i go to google and i type in an outfitter in montana or arizona or whatever and they say we help you kill trophy elk um what do you what do you feel about that is that uh it's got to be fuel in the fire
1: exactly yeah
0: is that that's probably their um it's probably their selling point though, right? cuz people see that and they're like trophy, it's got to be giant. Exactly. Cool I mean, and and is that is, you know, can we get rid of that? Is that hurting hurting the industry too from the guiding standpoint?
1: Um, I believe so. I honestly do. I think that having that word trophy hunting and as well as paying someone lots of money to go hunt it looks extremely bad. I mean, I think it's easily, you know, a stepping stone for hunting, hunting, anti-hunting organizations that come after, Mm -hmm. you know, you're paying a lot of money to go hunt so-called trophies. And that's, that's not what we're doing. You know, that's the, that's the frustrating part is like, we're not doing trophy hunting. I think the whole point of putting the word trophy is like you said, these are bone and Crockett level animals we get consistent, you know, blocks who are over 350. We, we're getting these these bull, these animals at this record, you know, and having those records and everything else, I mean, that could be a damper too. But at the end of the day, like if we're shooting quality, mature animals, that's saying is a point into conservation, you know, because if you're out there shooting, like I said, yearlies, you know, young animals, those young animals are popular. And these big bulls already put their put everything in the gene, they're just like humans. They stop reproducing at a certain point. So once we we start killing those mature animals, having their gene pool already in there, you know, has that, you know, has those younger bucks, younger bulls producing, rather than those big bulls chasing them off and having the herds not reproduce as much. And I honestly believe that that is a huge point in conservation is killing mature animals rather than small you know, not developed animals, stuff that's not in their prime, you know, or even yeah. shooting that's in their prime rather than shooting a mature animal at the later end of their life.
0: Yeah. I think that, you know, the, the term trophy hunting, you know, the guide services and stuff use that. And that's probably how they make a lot of their money and pull a lot of their business in. And a lot of people on social media like to use the term, you know, I killed a trophy Maybe Mm. they're just used to calling it that because it's like, that's how they define a boon and Crockett and all that. But it's like, um, in order to, to continue your business and bring in a lot of business, you got to use that term or to gain what they call clout or whatever, you know, notoriety on social media or whatever. You got to use that term, but it's like, it's helping you gain that. But at the same time, like it's going to kick you in the ass. So it's like, I don't know, man, it's a, it's a tough spot. I'm,
1: Exactly. I got to
0: figure that out.
1: It's <laughs> one of those political subjects. But, it you know, is. it's like that. Um, Honestly, I mean, if you have mature animals posted on your website, you know, yeah. pictures and hunting speak way louder than words. You can say you have trophy animals. You could say we have these trophy quality animals, and yet you don't have pictures of them. I mean, if you go to a website just has pictures and be like, these are Boone and Crockett's pictures, you'd rather say, here's our trophy elk. Yeah. yeah, here's a boon and crocodile here's our here's our mature quality elk that we harvest over the years you know rather than because like I said honestly I honestly don't believe 90 percent people don't trophy hunt it's just something that's it's something that came into the hunting culture that just stuck around and it was never meant to be a negative thing but now hunting anti organizations are coming at us making it as a sport and acting you know, you know I think as hunters, we almost have to be on that same front for as anti hunters in the term of this, just to say a foot ahead. So our, our kids, our grandkids can still be able to do this because that's a fear I have, you know, being able not to have this for my kid and not to have this for his kid, you know, so that, that's something that weighs on my heart. i like thinking I gotta stay proactive in this just to make sure this sticks around for years to come.
0: Yeah. So I, I haven't, um, uh... I've kind of had this in the back of my head, but I've never really mentioned it to anybody. The, you know, the term sportsman is used quite a bit too in this mm. industry um, and, you know, in, in the hunting culture. And I kind of, I've always kind of had the same feelings about the word sportsman um, as I do, do trophy hunting, because like trophy hunting, it turns it into and just like the word says sportsman, it it turns it into that kind of game mentality and that's you know that's probably even a bigger word used um in the hunting industry and stuff than than trophy hunting because pretty Mm -hmm. much everybody is calling themselves sportsmen whether they're pheasant hunting or deer hunting or Mm -hmm. you know i just i just I don't know how I feel about that word either. How do you, do you um, kind of feel the same way, or how do you kind of feel about that? And it's okay if you have a different opinion because yeah. I'd, I'd love to kind of kind of know.
1: Um, honestly, I think sportsman is a little bit more sportsmanship. You know, you're. I think I think it's more positive, way more yeah. positive than trophy. But um, I, honestly, I think I don't see anything wrong with sportsman. So I I think it as like sportsmanship. You're you're being a sportsman you're being a steward of the animals that's kind yeah. of what i think of it when i hear that but you know i never really thought about it <laughs> until yeah. you really said it but but that does make sense like you go to sportsmen's and yeah i don't know that, that's something i have to think about
0: it's probably uh it's probably however somebody wants to kind of kind of take it too and everybody kind of wants to put their own mix on on how, like you said, everybody's offended by everything. And it doesn't really matter probably at the end of the day when it comes to anti-hunting groups. Um, doesn't matter if you call it A, B, C, D, E, they'll probably figure out some way to turn it around on you. Exactly. Um, so hunting ethics, um, you know, everybody kind of has a different definition um, of what they have, of what they kind of practice and kind of their own mindset of, of what hunting ethics is. And I know this is probably a hard question, but you just try to do your best here. How do you kind of define hunting ethics?
1: I always come back to what, what are you doing when people aren't around kind of like your integrity kind of deal? Like, how are you, how are you providing? Oh man, this is it's tough. Tough, life. I know. Yeah, I know. Stuff, it's tough. It's, it's more like what are you doing? No one's watching to be able to harvest an animal in quality ways. Are you going to you know just like if you're hunting by yourself? Are you going to follow all the laws and do this in an ethical way, kill the animal in the most ethical way possible, and being able to, you know, honestly. All right, never mind. Scratch all that. Never mind. Now, fine. I, I think it's so much more simple than that. I think it's paying the same respect as the animal as the way you would want it done to you. Yeah. I think I think that's could be a real simple way to put it, is like like you put yourself if you're the prey. If you're the prey and you're getting preyed on are you going to want someone to drag this out you want it done quick and ethical and just get to the point and actually use what you are to progress generationally i mean we feed our kids we feed our families these these animals and i think just the respect of having that animal is is the biggest thing
0: yeah um ethics hunter ethics is It's very, very hard to define because obviously Mm -hmm. everybody has a different um, perspective on it. Um, I've just kind of an example of things that I've seen is see a lot of people argue over headshots on deer. It's like that's ethical. It's unethical. And for me, maybe it's not. But like for me, it's unethical. I don't know why, but I just feel that way. But I know there's a lot of guys out there that feel it's okay to shoot deer in the head. And, you know, everybody is kind of, I guess, um, entitled to their, you know, their own opinion and how they feel about it. So, um, like you said, it's just kind of, I think you, you, you put it well, it's just, um, how you would want it done to you. If you were, uh, in the deer or the elk or whatever it might be, uh, uh, shoes and, and to do it, do the kill as fast and as, as clean as you can with uh, the least amount of pain or suffering. Yes, sir. So um, you've got to have, have seen some, some unethical stuff in your years trampling around public land. Um, does anything stick out to you of, of bad hunting ethics or something you've, you've just seen or experienced, um, while out in the field, maybe it's private land or
1: something. I don't know, but any, uh,
0: bad hunting ethics stories.
1: Yeah. I mean, public land, I think the biggest one I see is whoever, you know, there'll be people like, I've been scouting this for six months. I'm on top of the ridge before you, man. You know, it's always first come first. Whoever's there's first, man. I woke up first, I got here first. I mean, I've been scouting this as well. Like it's public land. You 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 gotta respect like I'm here first. I understand like you if you've been scouting it for X amount of time, but like you got beat there. You've been scouting other places too. I mean, this is this one spot, you know, this couple, you know, probably. 500 acres isn't it doesn't it's not yours it's, you, you don't own it you know what i mean yeah So i think that's one big one um what do you let me
0: stop you for a second what do yeah. you do in that situation if you're on top of this mountain and this guy's like nah man like leave and you're like i ain't leaving like you both yeah. just sitting up there and it just runs it
1: for both of you or what um i mean most cases what i you know what happens is oh man i get it whatever then that guy heads it down but you know, I mean, I'm like, dude, I'm sorry, but I mean, been scouting. Obviously, is a good area, so yeah. Wake up earlier next time. You know, be,
0: you <laughs> yeah, know, the, the early effort. bird definitely gets the worm when it comes Lightly. to public land. Like, you better, uh, you better be getting yeah. up at 1 a.m. sitting in the parking lot. See <laughs> some some headlights come down the road. You better jump out because
1: mm-hmm.
0: man, it can get. Uh, I don't
1: know these little unspoken little little ethics things like that. where it's like, I mean. I know you, you put a lot of work in to find, I mean, potentially where these animals are. So I respect that. But at the same time, I, I put in a lot of work as well. So, you know, I mean, it's whoever gets there first. I mean, if you beat me there first, I'm going to see you up the hill. First of all, I'm not going to walk up the hill and try to tell you, hey, I've been scouting this. I'm going to be like, all right, on to the next one. I've done that plenty of times. So I think I think it's just that little, the little unspoken word of, public land you know um let's see another one. Oh, man. oh just people or even like dove honey Neil, and people will go shoot over the limit in, in public land they'll go shoot over the limit just throw them in their in their eyes and just go on like like nothing else like game wars is not gonna come check on me i'm like dude i mean just you doing this for Couple years later, then all of a sudden there's gonna be no dove hunting because people like you are going over the tag limit. You know, just having those little ethics goes a long ways. You know, and like, you know, it's it's something simple as that.
0: There's a, you know, I've I've ha- I've kind of experienced the same thing, um, more or less in a cornfield than on a, on a mountaintop. But I've been, you know, ground hunting whitetails tucked up in a bush and. I've actually, years ago, it's probably been 10 years now, I was sitting on the edge of a cornfield and it was about an hour before last light. You know, like I know in the next 20 to 30 minutes, like it's going to get good. Like I got there early, made all the noise I wanted to make, settled in, sat two hours, three hours to wait for this good last hour. Long behold, here comes a guy walking down the field. He gets right in front of me. Um, there's kind of a, um, there's a tree and like a grassy area for the tractors to drive when they're not driving in the field and then the field. And it's probably a 20 yard distance. So he's walking down this grass section between the field and the wood line. And he, he walks in front of me, you know, it's getting close to prime time. And I give him a little whistle and he stops and he's only, you know, not very far from me. And he walks a little more and I whistle again he looks and he, he he sees me on the ground. You know, I'm very well camouflaged and I wave at him, kind of giving the the sign of, hey, I'm here, thinking he's going to turn around and be like, oh, shit, man. Like, I didn't see you there. You're well hmm. camouflaged. Like, I'm going to back out. No, he goes 60 yards and I'm at the kind of the corner of a field and he uh, sits about 60 yards away from me underneath a tree, not brushed in at all, kind of honing in on this, this spot. These deer come out in this corner of this field every evening. And I, you know, I, they were pretty on pattern at that point. Um, and I didn't end up seeing any, any deer that evening, but about 20 minutes or 10 minutes before last shooting light, like when it's really getting good, like the deer are probably like going to come out, he gets up, turns on a bright flashlight he walks right past me um and he leaves he doesn't wave or anything and that's like like you were Mm -hmm. talking about um in the whitetail world here in southern indiana that's kind of the, the ethical issues that i run into a lot is like yeah it's public land you know maybe he had been hunting that for 14 years prior to this young buck sitting on the edge of this field um but i was there first and it's kind of like Really, man, like 60 yards away? Like, I don't know. It's it's kind of a hard situation because, like you said, it's public land. What are you going to do, run them off? But it's like, yeah. I don't know. It just, I can see that causing a lot of issues, you know, and a lot of fights. And I think that's why a lot of guys are, are turned off by public land.
1: Yeah. I mean, another one I think is a big one. I haven't ran into this yet because I said, the, I said it pretty clear. But, you know, you know, I had a buddy of mine. He takes – you know, if he takes like a new hunter or someone that wants to get in hunting or someone that's been hunting for, I don't know, three or four years, he takes them to a spot to go hunting. And then the next year he goes up in that same spot and that he took him in the year before and he comes up and he's like, dude, what are you doing here? He's like, you show me the spot. Like, I'm like, no, it took you one time. You're not supposed to come over here and freaking mark it down on onyx yeah. and came up here and take these hunting spots up, you know. Like, like, especially for me, like, my family has been hunting since, like, the 60s, dude. And, like, you know, we put in a lot of work to find these spots. And if I take you on here, I always tell them, like, if I take it, this is, like, a safer spot. And if you ever want to even – if you want to see if it's okay with me, at least give me a call before it to make sure I'm not either there or, or something else. You know, those little ethics as well. I mean, if you take someone new to hunting, have, I think they should have the expectation, like, not just to go there just because you show them a spot. You know what I mean? Yeah
0: it almost feels like um even though it's public land and you know everybody pays for it and everybody you know has the right to be there it almost feels like somebody's robbing you a little bit because it's you know you've put in Hmm. so much work almost like a second job and it's just like it's like you plow in the field and growing all the plants and then somebody else coming in at at harvest time and just whacking it all down with the combine and taking all the profit exactly yeah it's just uh it's a weird thing man because you know it's public everyone's allowed and uh yeah you just gotta i think you gotta you gotta pick your battles and and try to just kind of avoid that stuff as best as you can um when it comes to like the the shooting the over the limit thing there's nothing more that irks me somebody poaching animals like that um because that's you know that's what it is if you're taking over a limit you're poaching exactly Um, and i hear a lot of guys say like i shouldn't say a lot of guys but i've heard people in general like just talk like oh i just shot one deer like without a license like it's fine it's like yeah you and what another hundred thousand people do that it's like what does that do to the population like Mm. there's a reason that that's a a law like i don't know man if i see somebody doing stuff like that like i'll be a karen i'll turn them in like i don't put up with that poaching shit i can't stand it i'll be the first one to call game on you
1: oh yeah absolutely so I'm, i'm the same way it's just like it's not necessary
0: no it's greed it comes down to it. It, it it comes down to greed and uh i'm not for that man yeah so um what do you think or how do you feel um is the biggest obstacle that keeps hunters from being you know 100 percent ethical all the time um and i'll i'll kind of I'll give my answer a little bit after you give your answer and see if we kind of kind of have the same feelings about it. But you know, what keeps somebody from straight and narrow all the time? What makes them want to kind of steer off?
1: Um, honestly, I think most of the time is mostly when people aren't, or it's probably even in that, in that time frame when they are probably about 20 to like 28 and they're trying to get into hunting and they just ask a buddy to go with them. And their idea of hunting is driving in a truck, bringing some beer, waiting to see a deer. You know, and that, that happens a lot, you know, just a lot of road hunting and stuff like that. But I think the blind leading the blind is a, is a big one where, you know, they don't know the right way to do it. They've never been shown the right way to do it. So that kind of steers it off. Then I think even like, even like myself, I'll if I see something, the adrenaline holding your adrenaline back is always something Like you're right there in the moment. You know, it's a, you know, just how that elk was like where he walked down the thing, you know, and we're getting it out as a woodbury elk. And there's an urge there, obviously, Uh but it's just the adrenaline. I mean, being able to overcome that adrenaline and being able to withstand that is another thing, but Honestly, I think the main reason is, like I said, the blindly and the blind and not going to someone that has put in the respect and the time into these animals as new hunters go into it. And these new hunters seeing like these Instagram posts and all these other things like, oh, I want to go try that. And they go on blind, not knowing what to do. And then mistakes happen and they don't know their mistakes. transfer there to them. You know, and not reading regulations, just being, oh man, I got this tag. Let's go, let's go deer hunt, and we got an over-the-counter hunt. Let's go over here and do it. You know, and you know they grab a couple buddies, like I said, and go road hunt and do that kind of stuff. And you know, I think that I think that's the biggest thing. So, being able to have a line or having, I mean, if you're looking to get into hunting, go reach someone that actually been hunting. I mean, I guarantee if you ask one hunter. That's been hunting for a long time. That you're interested in getting hunting, he's taking you that next day. He's he'll drop whatever he's doing, and he's like, "All right, we're going hunting." You know what I mean? Especially someone that wants to learn, and if you want to experience that hunting, go ask someone that has experience hunting. If you don't have that access, you know, I mean, that that's that's something kind of hard to find. Someone that does hunt. If you don't hunt, you want to try it. So being able to, you know, just trying to find someone that does hunt that you don't know is, is something hard, but I think that's that what causes people to go around the, the arrows, you know, social media influences and not knowing the right ethical way to do it.
0: Yeah. I think you, um, I think you hit it on the head uh, of what I was going to say too. Um, I like the, the blind leading the blind because I think that's a big issue. You know, you get a guy um, who's been hunting for a year or two you know his grandpa took him once he didn't really pay attention mm-hmm. to the hunting ethics he just went with grandpa and next thing you know he's riding around in the truck and his buddy's like man i want to go hunting." he's like i know how to hunt and you know he shows the other guy how to hunt and i'll put that in quotations um and you know it's just um um passing on bad habits to mm-hmm. the next and it it you know it just it's a cycle and it continues on and I think a lot of times those people, like you said, they just they don't have the respect. Um, they haven't done it enough to to fully um, grasp the whole the whole picture when it comes to hunting. To them, um, it's you know just shoot the deer. It Doesn't really matter if you shoot it in the ass and all you know different.
1: Yeah, Texas heart shot.
0: Yeah. And you know, the social media thing, man, and I've heard, you know, others talk about this too, is you know, we live in a an an age of social media, and you know, I'm on seven different social media platforms. So I'm in that that realm too. But I think a lot of people get caught up in the um mm. the killing for content thing, man. They gotta have the next thing to post on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or whatever it might be. And it's like you know, they go out and they're like, shit, like, I, you know, I got to make myself look legitimate. Like, you know, maybe this is a shot that I wouldn't normally take, but they're like feeling the pressure to like prove themselves. So they're like, you know, hell with it. I'll just, um, you know, I'll shoot it and I hope it works out for the best. I think, I think that, that hunting, um, killing for content, man, I think that shit happens a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know. I think a lot of people that see it, like, oh, that, that looks cool and go try it and have no idea what they're doing and make a lot of mistakes doing it. And rather than, you know, trying to research more and stuff like that, I mean, you know, they, they stumble across them and that looks fun. Mm-hmm.
0: They stumble across
1: a meat eater freaking thing and they, they binge watch that. And then all of a sudden they're going out hunting, you know. You know, it, it's, it's, it happens, but, you know, I mean it could turn into something good. This is another thing. Like social media is not all bad, you know, no, you know, especially for hunting. It's, there's, a lot of good that comes out of it. You get a lot of new hunters and you get a lot of new hunters that do dig into that, but actually, actually dig into it and start talking to people that hunt. And then they go and get the respect and go from there. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, ethics is always something hard to teach someone or it's not really hard to teach someone. It's hard to have them, just do it, you know, because everyone has different versions of ethics and, you know, it's, it's a sad truth that people have sick motives to do it. And it's it's frustrating, but, you know, it's just how the world is.
0: Yeah. I, um, I always tell people, you know, that always ask me to go hunting and maybe I'm wrong for this. I don't know, but I, I have good, um, I have good intentions. I think maybe this is the wrong way to go about it, but if someone's like, "Will you take me deer hunting. Um, I usually say like, I try to be honest, like, and I'm not trying to, to, um, make myself sound cool or, or anything like that. But I always tell them like, it's going to be rough. Like I'm hardcore. Like I'm not a guy that's going to take you out. I'm not saying I don't do this, but I'm not a guy that's going to take you out to sit on the edge of a cornfield and a little blind most of the time. Like, if you're going to go hunting with me, like, we're getting in the thick shit, we're going to climb trees, and we're going to hang out at saddles, and we're going to hang stands, and it's going to be hot. You're going to sweat. You're going to get ate up by mosquitoes. I try to make it... Um, I know, God, it does sound bad, but, like, I try to let them know that it's more than just going out there and shooting a deer like there's a lot of work to it and you've got to kind of be committed to it
1: mm-hmm. and
0: I've found that that weans a lot of people out and I, I don't know if that's wrong because maybe maybe that person would be more interested in the outdoors if they thought it wasn't going to be you know a literal hell or something but at the same time I I don't want to take somebody hunting that's that doesn't want to kind of fully understand the whole picture and how it all works and how it's not just going out and shooting a deer and how there is a lot of work and suffering and, and ethics to it all. And I don't know, man, that's just something that I've always done. And, and, and I hunt, you know, other than my wife, I, I hunt alone most of the time. And, and I steer away from hunting with a lot of people because I know people's ethics are different and I know people's ways are different and I'm always scared that I'm going to meet somebody or, or take somebody hunting that I've met or whatever. And I'm scared that they're going to want to do something that's unethical. And I'm going to be put in this, this really awkward situation of, yeah, we're friends, but you want to do this shady shit. It's like, I just, I don't know, man. I just try to stay away from that stuff. I mean, Maybe well, I'm wrong
1: in that. No, I think I think that's perfect. I mean, I ran out of the same situation too. Like, Oh, I want to, I want to go, I want to go deer hunting with you. All right, let's go deer hunting. And freaking four miles later, like, after after that first day, nah, we can head out now.
0: You know, yeah. like,
1: all right. You know, but I think that's good, you know, showing them the actual hard work that goes into it. You're not just going out here. You know, a lot of people get lucky, too, when they first go hunting. Yeah, they uh, do. You know, When there'll be a freaking bug saying 20 years off the road, they shoot it. Oh, yeah. man, it's easy. We do this every year. Mm-hmm. And then habit where it's just road hunting after road hunting after road hunting and you know it's it's unfortunate but i do agree with you on that like it's it's a, it's a struggle like you know when i do bring other people out you know i, I try to lay the foundation like this is what's going to be if you do anything else we're done here like well i'm going to pack everything up and we're we're just leaving like i i don't play that or if you if and i'm like literally this is what's in the regulations if you try to do anything other than that we no we're, we're, that's not happening so i, I you know i i kind of lay the the foundation of like this is what's going and before take anyone hunting too i kind of explained to him like when we watch this animal die, it's, it's this is your first time watching animal die it's going to be kind of a surreal moment mm-hmm. i learn a lot about you in this moment it's going to see if i'm going to see remorse and and respecting your eyes or I'm just going to see nothing, then I'm going to have I'm gonna have some problems or concerns. You know what I mean? So that's another thing why I try to explain to them, like, when we kill this animal, we're not just killing it. Like, this is going to be an animal dying. You're going to watch life go out of its eyes. So yeah, it's going to be surreal. And, you know, how you react is going to be a huge deal. You know what I mean? So, and a lot of people react in different ways, but, you always see the genuine person come out in that situation.
0: Yeah. I, um, I do say this a lot. I don't know if I've said it on social media or, or on here, but I tell this to my wife a lot, um, you know, because she knows that I'm completely obsessed with this working on this podcast till 12, 1.00 AM. And I'm, you know, completely consumed in hunting. I go to bed, you know, thinking about it, and wake up thinking about it. But I tell her like, A lot of people, you know, that don't hunt think, not that they think this, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like what I feel like they think. They think you go out hunting, you walk in a field, you sit for like 10 minutes, a deer shows up, you shoot the deer, it immediately falls over, and when it hits the ground, it just kind of like you know, turns into to to ground and 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 summer mm-hmm. sausage and all this stuff and it's just like that's over and that's not like, you know, there's so much more to like just yeah. going out and shooting the deer and you just have like this meat. Yeah. Um nobody nobody really um you know I've noticed when people talk about wanting to go hunting, nobody ever um kind of grasps like new hunters never really grasp the the work part after the shot, when it comes Mm -hmm. to gutting the animal and cutting the animal up. And, um, I don't know. I think like a lot of people think they're going to be interested in hunting. And then it comes kind of, you know, they shoot the animal and they're like, like, you know, we're done. It's like, Oh man, like it hasn't even started yet. Like Mm -hmm. we got to gut this thing and drag it out and cut it up and wrap it in freezer paper and get it home (laughs) before it spoils. And it's just, um, I, sometimes i wish people that that wanted to get in hunting or 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 think that they understand hunting would kind of see you know more of the the bigger picture of it we're not just going out and shooting a deer and elk uh, there, there's way more to it than that yeah um so i guess to kind of wrap it up here maybe have one or two more questions but what do you feel is, is, and I'm sure it's going to be different for you than it is for me, but what do you feel is the number one unethical behavior among the hunting community? Oh man. And it doesn't, uh, and mine's not going to be field related, not, and I can maybe answer mine first if you want some time to think about it, but, um, mine's going to be more led towards, uh,
1: online and social media um honestly mine is the waste of meat man i see it all the time people that go and just shoot animals and you know not having the knowledge of how to take care of that meat you know yeah. i think is a huge problem is is how many people actually let people you know, or just nothing comes out of it. They shoot an animal and the meat's left behind. People don't want to take care of it. I think, I think that's a big thing in, in ethics is taking care of the, the finished products. Like you said, that's where the work begins. And, you know, I think a lot of people need to do a better job at that. Um, yeah, that, that's my answer to it.
0: Okay. Maybe I want to change my answer to that. Cause I, I see <laughs> that, I see that, uh, I see that, a lot and i hear a lot um you know how you well i don't know about where you live but where i live like you might go in a store and somebody you know you might go in and grab something before you go hunting and you run into some other guy that's going on and you got camo on so he knows you're going hunting and it's getting that time of year or whatever so he starts talking about deer hunting and next thing you know you're on the subject of yeah, we just, we don't even mess with the shoulders. Mm-hmm. Like we just pull the back straps out and the hindquarters. Mm-hmm. Like from that yeah. point, I'm always like, I got a phone call. I got to go like, you know, me, like right. I don't even want to be, I can't that, that for me, I agree. I'm the same way. I hate wasting anything like that. I, I, I just don't see how you can, you know, for me, like I'm shooting deer to eat them. I'm shooting squirrels and stuff to eat them like, you know, the, the rack and stuff, man, it's, it's cool. But like, you know, and it's not my number one goal. The number one goal is me and I just don't see the number one goal being me. And then just like leaving half of it behind. I just don't understand it, but I'm going to go ahead and say my, I guess it'll be my number two now instead (laughs) of my number one, but I'll tell you, man, hunters bashing other hunters, on social Hmm. media is gotten completely out of hand. And I know you said you're not on a total on a whole lot of social media and I, I put out a lot of content, so maybe I'm more subject to it, but like, golly man, like we're small enough as it is. Why you guys like, who gives a shit? You know, as everybody's doing shit legal, like who cares, man, but Hmm. it's cutthroat. I don't know. I don't understand it, man. I don't know if people are trying to to like if they put somebody down it makes them look better or what. But like, there's only so many of us, and you know we're trying to pass this on. So maybe we should stick together instead of
1: slitting each other's throats. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much to to compare on. I don't have the Instagram or Facebook or much like that. I don't really see anything. Yeah, like that. That's that's interesting. I want to guess like other hunters coming out. Hunters, yeah. what do they say? Like, like. Like okay, so so I'll or... give you an
0: example. I've been uh I don't know if you have TikTok or not. A lot of people think it's for 13-year-old girls, but I get on there and I post like a bunch of hunting content. Um so yeah, download it and, and check out my videos because some of them are funny, I'll have to say. But anyway, so here in Indiana, um recently within the past five or six, seven years, they allowed crossbows. Well, I'd always shot a compound. You weren't allowed to shoot a crossbow unless you had a disability, like a shoulder injury. You had to have a doctor's (laughs) note, whatever crossbows kind of came into the thing. Four or five years went by. I hunt. Um, There's some different places here. There's um, what you call reduction zones or more in the city. Um, They're thicker. Sometimes, sometimes I was like, man, I get a crossbow. Like there's certain situations where, As you know, a compound is not as efficient as a crossbow. Um, You know, it, it can fly through leaves and sticks a little better. Like, I'm hunting near these roads. Like, I need to make sure, like, not that I'm not confident with my compound, but I thought, you know, I can use a crossbow and it'll just up my game. And, you know, if something does happen, it'll be less likely that I'll make a bad shot with a crossbow. Deer won't run up the highway, or you know, running in someone's backyard, whatever the case might be. So I bought a crossbow. Well, this year I was hunting a, a new piece of new piece of property. Um, I was hunting from the ground. It was like the second time I had, had been on the property. I was like, man, like archery season's almost over. I'm gonna take the crossbow. Like I don't know. I'm hunting from the ground. Things might get weird. Like I might be crawling on the ground after this deer. I just thought, you know, like. For me, I thought maybe I, I would be in, in better um, condition in this situation to take a crossbow. So I took a crossbow. I shot that buck That's that anyone on YouTube can see it, but it's at the top of my wall there. It's the biggest one I shot, shot it from the ground at, at 20 yards. Posted uh, the bloody arrow on TikTok and immediately started getting comments, you know, crossbow this, crossbow that, hating on crossbows. I'm like... You know, like, it's legal. Like, I didn't do anything illegal. I don't know why. Like, I didn't fill an extra tag. Like, I don't know, man. I don't, something, maybe you're, maybe you're an anti-crossbow guy too. I don't know. Like, but I don't, I just, uh, I don't understand why it matters so much. Um, you know, it was my tag. I put in the work. I spent all the gas. I'd put it on all the time scouting. I put it in the work to get the permission to hunt it. I bought all the gear. I had one buck tag to fill and I filled it. I didn't fill an extra tag. Like, why do those people care? They don't even live in my state. They don't even live within 300, 400 miles of me. I just like, I I don't know. I don't understand. Like it it cracks me up when people will bash somebody about shooting a crossbow, but then they'll go out with a rifle and shoot a deer from 500 yards. It's like, yeah, exactly. I just don't get it. Like, you know what I mean? I just, Oh,
1: that's another one. That's another ethical one. I have a problem with Like. Out West, I mean, people are taking 12,000-yard shots. I'm like, come on, dude. What the – what are we doing here? Yeah. Like, oh, man. All right, I have a video for you to watch, though. We'll probably see how you feel about it. Um, Search up the Jimmy John's – I think it's a 2020 um, commissioner's tag hunt on YouTube. Okay. It's Rogue Outdoors, and it's about this guy that he scouted this for, like, he was on this bull for like three or four years. And um, I mean, it was like a 470 bull or something ridiculous. But he he drew the tag finally. Him and his wife drew it. And they were going to go hunt it. And then, you know, the commissioners came in. He was on it for that September. Commissioner's tag opens like August 15th. So August 15th came around. They went to his house and they were going to shoot this bull. And he would roll over to that camp. He's like, I'm going to chase this bull out of here but he didn't. So he shot it. And this whole, I mean, if you watch that video, it's crazy. The kind of Mm. stuff that goes on. It's like, what is going on, man?
0: Man, I'll never, um, you know, I've heard a lot of people say this too. Um, and it's probably, you know, the same with elk or moose or anything else, but like deer make people stupid is what I've heard a lot. And it's just like, Mm. you know, in that moment, you want it so bad that it's like it's almost like you don't it's like your mind doesn't register like you're about to get cuffed by the warden like this isn't right you're stealing something from somebody else like I don't know man just yeah, like that buck fever that yeah that buck fever and that adrenaline just god really? that's something that I think is important for for new hunters to to kind of you know learn very early it's something that you it's something you got to learn how to control cuz it it'll take a hold of you man and it, it and if you let it get a hold of you you'll progress and next thing you know you're driving around drinking bush Light and shooting bucks out of a truck with a spotlight like i don't exactly, know exactly
1: it's really, it's out of hand
0: yeah cool man well um i appreciate you you coming on here and and talking some elk stuff cuz like i said i you know i i talked to a lot of people um And everyone always says, you know, my dream hunt is to go hunt an elk. So I thought like, get you on the show. We'll talk a little bit about elk gear and maybe people, uh, people kind of know what they need to get in preparation for. If they need to get on the stair stepper with some, some alarm dumbbells or whatever it might be at at planet fitness and buy some new boots (laughs) and kind of, kind of, you know, get them started on, on Mm -hmm. how they need to, to make the path. But, um yeah i appreciate you you tackling the hunting ethics too because i know that's a you know it's kind of like an open-ended question it's kind of hard to really give a a correct answer because everybody is a it's a little bit different but i appreciate you t- tackling the job i think you did a good job
1: absolutely man i appreciate it
0: yeah um can you i know you got uh you got one social media account so anybody not on youtube that doesn't see it here scrolling across the screen um tell everybody where to where to find you at if they want to um connect with you maybe they got some some questions on ethics or or elk hunting or maybe they're a potential client of yours in the future they want to come uh come see what you're like to hunt with that you know out guiding out there in the in the open land the mountains
1: yeah right now i'm only on um the go wild app it's under my name kyle swan you know K Y L E two ends you know um, that's the only place I'm on right now. Um, like I said, I mean this next fall, we're going to start pushing some stuff out on, getting a website going and get Instagram and start really trying to push my own, my own guide service out there. But that was right now. That's where you can find me.
0: Cool. Yeah, guys, uh, make sure you, uh, you guys got any questions on the, the ethics thing or anything we talked about. You, uh, can always message me or you can, uh, get with Kyle. I'm sure he'd be happy to answer elk hunting questions and ethics questions and, uh, he kind of under, he understands the whole picture. He's been around around hunting his whole life, and uh, as I'm sure many of you have. But um, you know, he's got. The, it sounds like he's got a good set of values when it comes to being an ethical hunter in the woods. So I appreciate it again, Kyle. And uh, um, I'll catch up with you.
1: Yes, sir. I appreciate you.
0: Yep, we'll see you, man. I'll see you. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Hunt the Wild podcast. If you enjoyed the show and it's brought you some sort of value, I'd love if you could give me a rating and a review. Just a few seconds of your time can help me better understand the type of content you all enjoy, and it would mean the world to me to hear from all of you.